0: Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's the Benefits and Wellness Superhero Podcast. This podcast is designed to help professionals develop the skills needed to get complete leadership buy-in on group benefits and shine a light on what's changing in the wellness space. Listen to tips and strategies that'll help you become a superhero in the eyes of employees and management. For the next 15 minutes, Nicole Cairns, our Director of Health and Wellness, and I, we're going to discuss the sort of evolution or the past, present, sort of future of how wellness is going to integrate or move to the forefront. So let's get started. Uh, Welcome back, or welcome to the stage, Nicole. I think everybody's able to see everybody. There we go.
1: Hi, Roger.
0: Hello. Yes, as
1: you said, we're sort of taking a Scrooge-like um, approach to this session, exploring the past, the present and the future of employee well-being within an overall total rewards offering. We'll discuss how over the long term, the trend is to move to a more proactive investment in health and establish a budget around that, and to also develop an organized business case that can be presented to key stakeholders. So. Can you speak, Roger, uh, to how we have tended to look at benefits and wellness as two almost distinct issues or offerings, and perhaps why they are starting to come together or integrate?
0: Right. Okay. So let's start with benefits. Benefits have traditionally been designed based on benchmarking and some employee input, meaning how our plan compares to other companies in our industry and a bit based on what employees tell us they want and they need now with that approach there are still a lot of gaps between what we offer and what employees tell us that is important to them we already spoke to that in earlier trend session and these gaps tend to be related to that individualized health issue meaning If I'm an employee, I'm saying I can't get what I need based on my health challenges or my health goals. Now, a benefits budget has been more of a kind of cost of doing business. Very few companies have a particular goal for their benefits budget or see the per employee cost as being essentially too low or too high. They just kind of accept it uh, as a cost for what it is, but they, of course, would prefer that it doesn't go up too quickly. So that approach doesn't really give any thought to addressing what is driving health outcomes and ultimately claims. So lifestyle or how people behave at work, after hours, and on weekends, and that's kind of one place for a lot of people, and even the workload and the work environment that they're in, these were sort of considered things that might be even outside of our control or maybe not necessarily of concern. It was Really, just we're going to let it be and let employees do what they want to do. We obviously can't look at it that way any longer because the future cost is likely to start exceeding what we deem acceptable. And I'm not referring just to benefit costs. I'm talking about the impact on attendance, productivity, morale, retention, corporate reputation, and more. And health, though, is really now a major issue of business success all around. Now, wellness on the other side up to now has mainly been limited to kind of a safety net approach. So EAP is a good example, something that employees can access when they're maybe in a bit of a crisis situation. But outside of that, we saw in wellness, really a lot of kind of one-off lunch and learns or easier things to plug in like gym subsidies or even wellness dollars. Now, these may have had some impact, but they are not necessarily a strategy, or consideration for what is ultimately going to impact an employee's behavior or maybe even make a dent in the healthcare cost. So in fact, a lot of wellness, quote unquote, initiatives have fallen maybe more into the social categories, sort of in the form of team building or company barbecues and holiday parties. We even haven't had those in the last couple of years. So wellness in general has been pretty low on the priority list and obviously wouldn't even have a budget assigned to it specifically. Now, in the more recent period, as we get closer today, we're seeing insurance companies and EAP providers adding more of what I'll call a wellness type feature. It's allowing the employee to maybe get a little bit more of that self-selection and have more control over how they move forward in their own learning and their health development. I mentioned before, telemedicine, Mental health portals are a great example. They've really uh, reduced or taken away the barriers in terms of diagnosis and treatment. There might be relatively low uptake so far of those services, but at least it's a good start. And uh, I guess statistically, at least half of organizations have already added or they've enhanced some form of virtual mental health support. So that's kind of the spectrum of the two distinct areas.
1: Okay, well, thanks for covering the past. And and, Mm -hmm. um, how do you see things, how would you describe the so-called integration of benefits and wellness as we move forward, as we look to the future?
0: Yeah, okay, so now benefits is getting more attention in terms of the impact that it's having on the employee specifically. And that's what we want to measure. Instead of whether the plan features are just competitive across the industry, there's now much more emphasis uh, what we might call self-care, or the personalization of that health experience—it's the ability to, you know, find and take advantage of benefits that directly impact that individual at that point in time. So, a good example of that—that's coming to us in benefits—is by permission. If I submit a claim for my diabetes supplies or my medications, or I. I'm taking uh, medications for anxiety or depression, I may actually get a notification privately and confidentially that says, would you like to take advantage of education around your particular issue that you're living with right now? Well, that's great because now we're kind of layering on the education with the sort of claim experience at the same time. So there appears to be really a bit of a trade-off coming from plans needing to cover sort of you know, every scenario to a very limited basis to where now the money that's being allocated might be for, say, an HSA, might be allocated into almost like a marketplace. I talked about this as an earlier trend where it really can be used across the specific priorities of each employee or the family members themselves. So the ideal scenario really is that an employee would take advantage of a broad offering of core coverages, but they'd also be able to self-select additional tools and resources based on their particular health issues. So we're hopefully, in fact, that a lot of these services would actually be about supporting health promotion, more of a proactive approach versus just reacting to health outcomes kind of after the fact. So it's kind of a matter of having that feature available and ready for exactly when the employee is ready to step up and put in the work. Now, aside from this movement towards more individualized experience, we now have real urgency. So the issue of employee health is hitting us, mental health is hitting us square in the face. So burnout, mental illness, we already talked as a big trend, are the biggest concerns right now for HR teams. And people are working harder and longer hours, even working from home. Yes, they are more productive, but in fact, people sort of see it almost like a 24 hour experience. And there doesn't seem to be necessarily a lot of solutions around reducing workload yet. We haven't quite figured that out. Statistically, one in three employees are currently feeling burnout. And more than one in three Canadians would say that workplace stress is the primary cause of their mental health issue. And almost half of working Canadians would agree that their work and their place of work is the most stressful place of their day and their life. Pretty compelling. Employees also tell us that they want their employer to support their well being and they'll work and choose an employer that demonstrates this in, a, in an authentic way. Statistically, 77% of Canadians will actually leave their current job for the same pay if that new employer offers mental health support. And 87% of employees consider health and wellness package when they're choosing a new employer. So, not only is there urgency to address the employee health issue, but we also know that this is offering or that this is all about the employee well being and it's going to Really address our competitive issues around attraction and retention. So, yeah.
1: Thank you, Roger. So, if we all agree that truly investing in the well being of employees is an urgent priority, as you've described with those stats, any suggestions on how we present the business case to get our leadership on board and to get their buy in, really?
0: Yeah, that's that's the big issue that we have to prepare for. So let's start with this, is that the industry data and our exact employee health data is going to speak the truth. So whether we just ask our employees about what their challenges are, whether we go down right to the level of a health risk assessment, that data is going to be pretty telling. So we need to get that. But that is likely also going to correlate with what we're seeing in terms of more absence, lower productivity, obviously more resignations because of people just saying that's enough, I'm burnt out and overworked, and I I won't work in that environment. People are seeing it as we're having trouble finding talent because our rewards don't measure up against that gap in in the competition. Maybe our employer brand isn't great. Maybe our reputation on Glassdoor isn't great. And perhaps even maybe underlying we're known as not a great place to work. Um, or that maybe we typically ignore the well-being of people. So that's pretty telling information, both from an individual level to sort of a corporate reputation basis. But what we know is that organizations with highly effective health and productivity programs or wellness programs, they report 11% higher revenue per employee, 27% greater shareholder returns, Two-thirds reported an increase in employee satisfaction and productivity. And this one I like is 50% reported decreases in absenteeism. So almost two fewer days of absence as a result. So the business case or the buy-in really here is that not only is the data compelling, the competition for talent is huge. We have to measure up there. But a longer term study on employee wellness programs, comprehensive programs has said that there's a three to one return on every dollar we invest in those programs. And that return is measured against the variables that we already talked about in terms of the impact on reduced absence, higher productivity, and of course, the cost of turnover. So this is all really shaping up not only as the right thing to do, but the data and the stats and the industry is pretty compelling around it.
1: Yeah, it's hard to deny those, those stats, um, Roger. So if you can present those to your, to your leaders, you know, I think it would be hard for them to just turn a blind eye to that. And, and what about budget? I mean, how yeah. are we now going to, to budget for this integrated approach of benefits and wellness?
0: Well, that's a big one, a big question, one of the tougher questions, given that most companies, they don't currently have a budget for wellness as a separate investment. They may already be spending on sort of quote-unquote wellness tools through insurance companies, but nothing that they've written a separate check for. So let me try to give you a framework of the layers of how you might allocate a wellness budget, and then we'll get into the numbers. So wellness should Now, of course, be part of someone's actual job description so that someone is accountable to the goals and the objectives. So we recommend that you start by investing in a paid person to make sure the program uh, internally gets promoted and communicated really well to employees. So you might look at how an internal position and maybe even an external expert might work well together, someone that can mentor and coach that internal role. Both can they can likely be part-time or fractional roles. You might think it makes sense to, you know, jump right into a vendor relationship, but without this support level and oversight, your odds of success are going to be pretty low. So, with the right support, you then need to lean or move towards uh, proper assessments, and this cost of investment will clarify employee interest and even provide an aggregate of more common health challenges. So, assessment in many forms, which we'll talk a lot about more tomorrow, will give employees and the employer a better awareness of their health and obviously how to prioritize what they should work on. So now that we have the support and we have the assessments, we can finally start establishing goals and objectives for our wellness investments. And these goals are gonna make it a lot easier then to implement different tools and perhaps vendors. Vendor platforms are, of course, going to range in price, but they're mainly costed out on a sort of per employee per month basis. And the difference in that price, of course, is going to depend on how comprehensive that offering is. So now that you're, let's say, committed and you're organized, a long-term investment is really what's going to work best here. So you think of the program as something that will build momentum and eventually, hopefully, take on a life of its own. Your initial investment needs to be reasonable enough to get the program off the ground, and then you'll build from there. But the launch and the initial delivery and promotion is going to be key in in getting that engagement. But here's a good way to look at the actual budget dollars. Let's say you're spending about $3,000 per employee per year on your current group insurance plan. And that would include everything from life, health, dental, maybe even already the EAP and telemedicine features. Most, if not all of that is reactive. It's designed to pay the expenses of people who require health services and claims. So when you're considering a wellness budget, you might wanna consider a ratio between the reactive and the proactive. But what could you consider as reasonable? Like, what is that gonna be? Is it a five to one ratio? a 10 to 1 ratio, a 20 to 1 ratio in terms of benefit dollars to wellness dollars. Well, with that, we're maybe talking about adding as much as 20% on top of that existing benefits budget towards more of the proactive side of health, behavior change, illness prevention. So that math, just in real, in real numbers, could suggest $600 per employee per year or $50 per employee per month. But the major difference between, you know, what we're spending on, say, benefits and more of the proactive side is that the, the cost in the wellness side, it could generate and will generate at minimum a two or even three to one return. So with that reasonable investment, you're obviously going to depend on getting your money back many times over. So people in the audience, they can let us know if they'd like to have more of an offline discussion about the real numbers that you might be thinking about. But hopefully this is an overview that will support your planning and your prep for your future meetings with leaders, ownership level stakeholders.
1: Thank you, Roger. That was, that was a thorough look um, at that integration.